listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Please open up your Bible with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We are in a series called Chosen Sojourners. And in this series, we've been speaking about three different truths over and over again. There's three different ones that keep reoccurring here. First of all, Jesus is our living hope. He is alive. He is working for us. He is our king. He is, he is it. Secondly, in this life, there is currently present suffering. And it wasn't always that way. God created the world and it was good. But... Shortly after that, Adam and Eve sinned and, and fell, and the curse of sin is now permeated into every single aspect of our lives all the way up until this day. So in this life, there is present suffering that we all feel. doesn't end there, though, because there's one more theme in this letter. The pain will not last forever because Jesus is coming again. And all who know Jesus, our living hope, as their Savior, will one day live with Him, will be with Him. We have future glory awaiting us. Now, we've been seeing that. And what we're going to go into today is 1 Peter chapter 4. And maybe you've heard the saying, you are what you think. Anyone ever heard that one? You are what you think? And that's not always... 100% 100% accurate, but generally speaking, generally speaking, it does check out over time. If you listen to lies about yourself, if you dwell on just how you feel, eventually those thoughts are going to affect you so much that they define you. Now, the message this morning isn't about a catchy man-made phrase like, you are what you think. And it's not about the power of positive thinking either. Maybe, maybe you've heard of that phrase, the power of positive thinking. It was from a book by a man named Norman Vincent Peale. He was a very popular Protestant clergyman in our country in the 50s and the 60s who preached a self-help gospel that was not the real gospel. This isn't a message about either one of those things. It's not about forcing yourself to think positively and to build up your self-esteem and be strong because you were worthy and you were amazing. That's not exactly what we're going to see in the scripture today. We're going to actually get something better from the ultimate source of truth, God's word. And lately, Peter has been giving us a very steady dose of what to do. Chapter three was very heavy on the application. And over the last couple of weeks, I've preached messages on what you can do when you don't know how to handle awful personal trouble. When you're going through a serious trial, maybe you've caused it, maybe someone close to you has caused it. When you have been hurt and you're suffering through that, Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave us some amazing instructions. And now this morning, we are getting to the core of not just what to do as a Christian, but how to think as a Christian. And frankly, when you look at how to think in this sense, 
It makes all of these self-help tools like the power of positive thinking or self-care day. It just makes those look so laughable in contrast because it goes deeper than the surface level that, that gives temporary relief and then fades fast. If you want to straighten out your mental health, we've already saw this. We, we started here already, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. This is what you can start with. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's 1 Peter 3, 10 through 11. So get out of your head and start serving people. Get your mind off of the problem and start living out the solution. That's, that's how all of this started starts. And in this series through 1 Peter, we've been seeing that you will also face reviling for Christ's sake. You will suffer for righteousness' sake. Jesus did, and he told us that the world hated him, and if you were like him, they will hate you too. And unlike Christ, you're even going to suffer for your own mistakes, because, because Christ never made a mistake, and he, he never sinned, and he suffered we do, and we will suffer from our own mistakes in this present life. But that's where we've been at so far. That's what we've seen. Live in the moment with grace and reflection on the past and realism and optimism for the future. I have a slide for that. All right, I'm going to put that quote up there for you. We've also seen, don't worry about what you can't change. Focus on what you can change. And then we talked about trust God to control the things that are out of your hands and hand over everything else that you can't control to God, right? We've, we've been seeing these practical applicational truths all through 1 Peter here, and now we're getting another dose of realism. This isn't a stick your head in the sand and hope all the problems go away. This isn't a, this isn't a just forget about it and pretend not to be crushed. Think positively. It's more than that. At the core of all this, all of these correct actions that you need to take in a world of suffering and abuse and mistreatment, the layer underneath it is unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, being zealous to do good, and it's something that we call spiritual warfare. My definition for spiritual warfare is, has, has been the same definition ever since we preached through Ephesians back in the summer of 2020. We were doing outdoor services. And we preached through that book. And spiritual warfare very clearly stood out to me as a battle for truth in your mind. That's what spiritual warfare is, a battle for truth in your mind. And it's so easy to get caught up and consumed with, with our reference point, where we're at down here, what we can see and touch and hold right now, we get so consumed with that that we forget to look up through the clouds to God's overarching story that is above it all. Because God's story actually makes sense of the pain that you're dealing with. God created this world and it was good, but then the fall happened and everything is not the way it was once meant to be. Then you have the redemption of Jesus Christ, the cross at the center of, center of it all. And then as, as, you, as you find Jesus and you're made new, he sanctifies you. And you are actually being made new now into a person who's more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Ultimately, all that comes full circle with glorification, where God makes all things new. He wipes away every tear from our eyes, and and we see him face to face. So we have to remember God's story over just what we see and feel right now. And that's where we're at with the message today. Arming yourself with Christ-like thinking. Arm yourself with Christ-like thinking. So follow along with me as I read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that through that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So the first way that we arm ourselves with Christ-like thinking, point number one today, is believe that sin no longer has any power over you. Believe that sin no longer has any power over you. And this first verse, verse one, is very important. It's actually a difficult verse to translate in the original text, which makes for it being a very easily misunderstood verse. In the context here, we have a therefore, right? And what, every time you see a therefore in Scripture, it always points back to what has just been said. And that, that really starts in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And the end of, end of chapter 3, I, I didn't preach on this on Sunday morning because the last time we preached in 1 Peter last week, I stopped at verse 17. But I did a podcast on these verses. It's called Angels and Demons and the Nephilim. And, and if just by hearing the title of that podcast, you know, it gets into some pretty deep, heavy stuff. But the gist, the main point of these verses is Jesus went to the cross. He defeated sin and death. He is the victorious conqueror who has already won the victory. And he saved you. It's something that we could have never done on our own. And he has made us more than conquerors, to use what the same phrase that John, the beloved apostle, uses in Revelation. He's made us more than conquerors because he is the conqueror, and he has ascended to be at the right hand of God. So that's what we just covered. And since Jesus, before he, before he did that and, and won the victory, he suffered in the flesh, that's where we're at right here. And I want to pause right here with this, this phrase, suffered in the flesh, because This is a very key phrase throughout the next six verses. The flesh in the Bible sometimes refers to our old sin nature, our fleshly desires, meaning our our sinful desires that are cursed from the fall of sin. And that's a part of spiritual warfare. The battle within every Christian is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. 
But on this present journey, uh, before we make it to our forever home with God in eternity and meet him face to face at glorification, we will have a battle with the old sinful flesh. But that's not the flesh that Peter is talking about in this specific verse. We're not talking about the spiritual version of the word. We're talking about the raw, actual, simple definition of the flesh, just meaning your physical life, the physical world of flesh and blood. Jesus Christ, the man, suffered a lot down here in this present life, all the way to his ultimate death on the cross. So in the same way Jesus Christ, as the man, suffered in this dying, sin-cursed world, that same way you must arm yourself with that kind of thinking. So that means you are called here to take up your cross and follow Jesus Christ. This is a radical calling to deny yourself and follow Jesus. Leave your old life behind. Give your all to your Savior. Think about the mind of Christ. He had it all. He was all-powerful. He was already with God, the Father in heaven. He humbled himself and came, became a man. He came down to this world. He went all the way to the cross where he could have called 10,000 angels. In the Garden of Gethsemane, before the crucifixion, Jesus, the Son, was pleading with his Father to let this cup pass because he knew the mental torment that he was about to go through, the separation from God, the Father, as he took the sin of the world upon himself. So Jesus bled and died a torturous, agonizing death to take the punishment that we all deserve. He did that for you. That's the mind of Christ. He made a way for you to find hope and joy and peace and salvation, and he did that because he loves you. That is the same kind of radical, selfless, sacrificial mindset that you need to arm yourself with. Now, the second half of this verse is where it can get a little confusing. Look at it again. Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay, let me explain this. Peter is not saying that if you suffer in life, you are just over sinning. You think that's what Peter said? Would that make sense with the rest of, like, half of everything else Peter has already said in this letter, if that was what he was saying here? So it can't be that. Uh, that would be a contradiction. So in the original text, there is, there is a translation difficulty with this. Um, and every, if you look at pretty much every modern English translation, every single version has a little bit different of, of an interpretation here for this. In the original language, it conveys this idea that Peter is not talking about, follow me here, he's not talking about the presence of sin. He's talking about the power of sin. And there's a couple other translations of this particular verse that I actually like better. <laughs> I, I just read you the English Standard Version. That's what I preach from. That's because that's the one I chose. But, but the New International Version says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude, 
because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And then the Christian Standard Bible says it this way, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same understanding, because the one who suffers in the flesh is finished with sin. So if that's one of your Bibles today and you're smiling ear to ear because your translation says it better, <laughs> good for you. you. You get a point this week, all right? <laughs> I, I love the ESV, but I will not be ashamed to admit sometimes I like other translations better, in particular ver versions and, and verses. But to review here, Peter is not saying that if you suffer in life, you will completely stop sinning as if sin has ceased in your life. No, of course not. We will suffer. We will be tempted. We will fail. You're not completely over it, but you're also over it at the same time. You follow me? What Peter is saying is that through the power of the cross, when you fix your eyes on Jesus and keep him your focus... In the midst of your suffering for Jesus, when you think the way he thinks, you will no longer be held captive by the power of sin, like it once held over you. That's done. That's over. And, and if you want to think of it this way, I have a pretty sad illustration for you. So brace yourself. But, but speaking of present suffering in a cruel and often cold world, there's a story that I've seen repeated far too often. Just, just take a little girl, right? She loves her mom, but her mom is a control freak. And the mom uses her child for her own self-glory. This parent emotionally manipulates their child, mentally abuses their child. And the little girl, she's, she's loyal to her mom. She doesn't really even pursue her own interests. She tries, but she's always strapped down as if there's a leash on her truly being herself. And I know I'm describing some very depressing, like cringeworthy ideas here, but this little girl is just trying to please her mom and she doesn't know any better. It's like the mother of Rapunzel or Ursula or, or the Cinderella stepmother. I mean, you pick your female villain from a Disney movie, but we don't want to make it that soft. Like, this is the real world. And this could work for fathers and sons as well. You could interchange all of that. But you see this in real life. And the root of this is a lack of love for someone that you're supposed to be loving. It's the opposite of the mind of Christ. It's selfish, vainglory. And it's all too real in this present life. So you take this overbearing, controlling parental figure, and then when they are removed, right, what happens? The little girl is finally free to be herself, can, can breathe and live a better way and a better life, away from this oppressive shadow that was hanging over her for so many years. That's exactly what it's like to be free from the power of sin, right there. Now, this illustration does break down a little bit because none of us are innocent victims in the world of sin in the flesh, right? We have chosen our own way. Uh, we were born in sin, we continue in sin, and we were slaves to our own sin nature. But because of the victory of Jesus Christ, you must believe that sin no longer hangs over your head. It's not a monkey on your back anymore that is controlling you. 
You are free from that. It has no more, it has no more power over you. So you abide in Christ through the word of God, and you think through that all day if you have to. Just think about what Jesus has done for you. I believe that sin no longer has power over me. I believe that this sin no longer has power over me. Focus on the truth. Here's the second way you arm yourself with Christ-like thinking. Number two, stop living for human passions and live for the will of God. And before you say, well, David, isn't this another action point? I thought we were talking about the way we think. We covered all these action points in the last two messages. Well, yes, yes, absolutely. This is about changing the way we think, and this is, at first glance, an action point. But keep in mind, this verse flows directly from verse 1. And with that in mind, let's look at verse 2 one more time. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So your passions are your heart, right? It's, it's, it's the driving seat of your emotions and your will. And these human passions that are not godly are described in verse 3. These are the same old passions of the sinful flesh that have nothing to do with the spirit. I don't really think it's necessary to break down every single one of these. I think we get it, right? I mean, you just look at verse 3. And I would say to that, like, the Bible is not just some book for your grandmother, okay? It's not just for the, for the really good people who don't like to talk about these, these hidden things that we don't want to talk about in church. The Bible is, is for everyone. It's for the little child who is innocent and who doesn't know a lot that we just talked about and we just read about in verse 3? The Bible is also for the college kid who is still sleeping off their hangover from Saturday night, right? And they're going to be in bed for a couple more hours right now as we speak. The Bible is for them too. And this has truth for them. The Bible knows our hearts apart from God. God knows what we crave when our passions are set on the here and now and what feels good in the moment. Look at verse 3 again. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Those are all in the same category. Those are the passions that are antithetical to God's way and God's plan. And those passions and cravings take what God has given what he has created, and they pervert it and they twist them and abuse them and just go off the runway. These are addictive, soul-crushing contradictions, perplexing contradictions. There's pleasure in sin for a season. It's fun for a little while, but the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction and pain and misery. That's why the Bible warns us about this so often. And I also want to remind us all that Peter is talking to the church right now. Yeah, this is a book for everyone. This is for the person who just got wasted last night. It doesn't want anything to do with the church. This is truth for them. But this is also a reminder to all of us who are in the church that you are still going to be tempted by those very things. I mean, why else would Peter talk about it right here? 
He's saying, do not fall back into that old way of life. Peter is pointing out that when you don't want to go get wasted on Saturday night anymore, your old friends are going to now be surprised by that. And they don't get it. We used to have so much fun together, man. What's your problem? You're too good for us now? And they malign you. We've heard this before, right? Nod your head if, if, you, if you've heard, have these conversations before. Peter is talking to you about this. This is in the Bible. He understands. God is speaking through Peter to tell you that how they acted in the first century with the first generation of the church is, still they, is how they still act today. They are blind. So take heart. God knows how difficult it can be to break those ties. You have to find new friends. And it's easy to say it now, like, yeah, those people are messed up, and I'm so glad to be done with that. But in the moment when you're trying to figure it out and trying to, trying to break free, it can, be, it can be difficult to know how to do that. God knows how difficult it can be to break those ties and how you have to find new friends. And you can find those new friends in the church, like right here. I'm looking at them. I'm looking at a lot of awesome people right now. But take heart that God understands how difficult this can be. And you have to walk away from that mindset, that mindset that just lives for temporary passion and pleasure. Get your eyes off of the present and look up and arm yourself with the way Christ thinks, the truth. There is a battle for truth in your mind. And as you look past the darkness into the light and you walk in the light and you feast on the truth that God has a better path, he has a better plan for you, he loves you. He loves you more than these other people do. And as a matter of fact, I think a lot of us have come to realize that there's a lot of people that have fun with us and we feel good with them for a while. But if you step back and really think about it, they don't actually love you. They, they don't know true love. They are blind to their destructive path, or, or else they're in denial about it. And stepping off of that path with them, when you do that, you're pointing out to them that this is not as great as we all pretended it was. Yeah, we had fun with it, but I'm saying no to that because I'm saying yes to something that's better. And when you do that, they are going to take it out on you. The truth is, you don't even have to be a jerk about it. You don't really even have to say much. You just step away. They're going to put words in your own mouth that you've never even said. So if you haven't already experienced this, Peter is telling us exactly how it goes down. You're judging me. You're not one of us anymore. So the minute you say no to them because you're saying yes to God is the minute that they take offense. And here's why. They wouldn't be offended by it. They wouldn't be bothered by it if they knew deep down there wasn't something off. It's not all they hoped for. Because when they're honest with themselves, they know that they're missing something in this life. 
And yes, they may be ticked that you are above them now because you're not going to go to the same parties as them anymore and, and have, the same, have the same lifestyle. But here's the truth. You don't have to say anything, but you can still do it with gentleness and respect. You can still walk away and point them to God. And the truth of the matter is, the truth always rises to the top. It always does. They may attack you. They may malign you, just like this verse says. But when you are gracious and you are loving and you don't fight back with sharp words, over time, the truth rises to the top. And they can see there is something different. They're, doing a, they're, they're, they're living a different life. They don't love you like God loves you. They don't have the same selfless, sacrificial heart that only comes from Jesus Christ. And here's another way to see this. Don't live for the puddle when you can have the ocean. Think about that. The world who is going to their sensual parties, they're doing all, they're in the, or, I mean, We'll, we'll go to some place that we're not even going to talk about, right? The world is doing all of that. They don't know any better. They are blind and they are in the dark. Peter's been talking about this this entire letter. Okay? So this is all they know. You, you can't know what you don't know, right? And is all they know is, well, this is fun. Got wasted. It, was, it stinks now, but, but yeah, I'll do it again next Friday night. That's their world. That's all they know. It's like they have this little puddle, and it's all they know is this puddle. They have no concept of the ocean. Now, we all have a concept of the ocean, even if we've never been there. You've seen pictures, right? You have, you have an idea. That's kind of like the world. Like, you're talking about something that I just can't even, I can't even feel, or can't quite, I can't quite imagine that. That is the freedom that we have in Christ. We have this vast beautiful, mysterious ocean, the depths that we can never even reach to the bottom of it, we know true love. We have peace and joy and fulfillment that is so far removed from the puddle over here. We can't straddle both fences. Don't, don't try to keep one foot in the ocean and one foot in the puddle. It does not work. They're in the puddle. You leave that and you go enjoy the ocean that God has for you. The lost world doesn't know what they don't know, and they need us to show them. Of course, that's coming through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the work of God in their lives, but he uses you to speak truth into their life. So remain gracious, remain gentle, remain respectful, and tell them the reason for the hope that is in you, just like we just saw in 1 Peter 3. All of it flows together. And know that one day, you will not have to answer to them because you don't have to answer to anyone but God. And this segues right into the third way of thinking. This is a mindset, right? The mindset here of number three is keep on preaching the gospel in your daily life. Verses five and six. You have to think past the temporary hurt feelings that you're dealing with. You have to think about the truth that you are his messenger. 
If you are chosen and adopted by God into his family, you are an ambassador for Christ. And we will all give an account to God, the living and the dead. That's the spiritual mindset that transcends this present suffering that we're currently in. Look again at verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. I just want to say this is like a Jedi master level verse right here. (laughs) To understand this verse, you have to have the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Who are the dead that the gospel is preached to? Peter has to be talking about the spiritually dead, right? Has to be. These are the people who don't know God. They're spiritually dead. Those are the people from verses 4 and 5. He's not talking to physically dead people in the flesh. Got that? So with your life and your words and your actions, even by stepping away and being different and not trying to fit in with all those same parties and that whole crowd... By stepping away, you're going to open yourself up to conversations, naturally. There's going to be a conversation that follows. Not living that lifestyle, you are communicating something has changed. And those those same conversations now are going to actually allow you to point people to Jesus Christ in your living hope. Your mindset, look at this closely, your mindset, and you can look at verse 6, has to be It has to go beyond what everyone else is still doing. It it can't be the same. So they're still judging people in the flesh. Here's that word again. And if you're keeping score at home, we just, in the same verse, we just went from the spiritual and now we're back to the physical. In the physical world, in the here and now, people are judged by what they do all the time, every single day. Every hour of every day, every minute of every day, people are judging other people. It's all about what you bring to the table right now. What have you done for me? What have you done for me lately? That's the mindset of the flesh. And I think most of us know this, but I'll just say it. That's the way the world works. They are the worst judges of character and motive. And the world has this facade. They want you to think that the church is bad. The church is the one who judges people. And yeah, sometimes that's true, unfortunately, because sometimes the church behaves like the world, and we judge people too. We're wrong on that. But the world, they know how to judge people. They know how to condemn people. They know how to cut people off with no grace and no mercy and no forgiveness. I heard a guy just this week say, forgiveness is for weak people. You can pretend to forgive, but nobody really forgives. The guy who doesn't know Jesus. He's never received the forgiving, loving kindness of of God, and he doesn't understand that in his life. So don't live with this worldly mindset. The world breathes judgment. Of course, they're going to pretend to be inclusive when it fits, We accept everyone, right? Get the flag, get all the colors out there. We're so inclusive to every single person. But they dislike anyone who doesn't celebrate their brokenness. You start speaking truth, 
lovingly, graciously, that's not acceptable. No, no, we don't accept that. So here's the point. Lovingly put a smile on your face, graciously, respectfully, keep on preaching the gospel in your daily life. Sharing what you have seen and heard Jesus do in your life. Keep preaching the gospel. You were lost. Yeah, I used to go hang out with you on Saturday nights. I know that life. That was my story too. But God saved me. He gave me freedom. I don't have this shadow hanging over my head anymore that that gives me temporary relief, and then I have to go back to the bottle again. I have a new life. I have a new hope. I have a new joy. I have a new peace. You have to taste what I've tasted. Please come and see this. Jesus knew that the same people who crucified him would one, one day turn and repent. So Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Keep on preaching the gospel. And you'll never do that unless you arm yourself with Christ-like thinking. Remember what we talked about two weeks ago? The only way you have compassion for people is when you look to Christ. Because if you're just focused on all the wrong things they did to me, They did this to me, that was bad. They did this to me, that was messed up. This person mistreated me over here. Guess what? You're focused on all the here and now, right? The compassion dies away and it's gone. The only way you get that compassion is to focus on what Jesus did for you on the cross. He loved you when you didn't deserve to be loved. You were turning your back on him. You were living your own life far, far apart from him. And he chased you down and he showed you grace and mercy. That's compassion. He did that for me. I want to do the same for you. That's Christianity right there. They are lost. They have no hope. And you are a threat, so they lash out. Hurt people hurt people. We don't preach the gospel so people will like us. If that's your mindset, just have to make sure everybody likes me. Can't say this or that because... They won't understand. Just preach the gospel. Just just share the truth and love them and share the truth some more. That's the good news that they need to hear. If If you're afraid of offending them, you're not really loving them because you're not really addressing the root of their lostness. I'm gonna I'm gonna sacrifice my popularity for this. I don't don't want them to misunderstand that I don't embrace them and accept them. Here's the thing. The world has taken the definition of love and they've reclassified it. There's a lot of people now who just simply think love is just embracing and accepting me and who I am. Whatever my desires are, whatever my feelings and emotions are, however I want to identify, you have to accept that or else you're not loving me. And let me tell you, that is a very skewed, messed up definition of love. That's not love. What if we applied that to our kids, right? And our little three-year-old was crying for another Twinkie and another donut, and they wanted another ice cream cone, and we just said, oh, will you like that? You want that? That feels good for you? Sure, you can have it. We know better, right? We know better when it comes to parenting. 
We know that true love is a parent saying, you know what? That's going to be harmful for you. That's actually going to be destructive for you if that's your diet. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you something better. Love is not just embracing however you feel. Love is actually pointing people to God and telling them the truth about the way God has created this world and the plan that God has for you. Don't get twisted up with the world's twisted definition of love. Jeremiah, the prophet, says that your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The core of all of that is a misunderstanding of the effects of the fall, how it is stained the way even we think. And we have to get back to arming ourselves with the mind of Christ. Your passions aren't all good until you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and given a new heart and a new nature. You're not living in the puddle anymore. You're now living in, at the ocean. We have to think this way. To think like an evangelist. Every single one of us that know Jesus Christ as our Savior in this room, you are an evangelist. You have a story, a testimony of salvation, of how God has redeemed you and restored you and bought you back out of the bondage of slavery into a new life. And that's what you have to share with the right, the right kind of thinking. Sin no longer has power over me. I'm not going to get stuck in those same patterns of thought anymore. My old passions were corrupt. They were a dead end. And God has given me a new purpose and a new passion. I'm not truly loving my lost friends if I'm turning a blind eye or pretending that what they're doing won't bring judgment on the last day. We just read about judgment on the last day. I listened to a, a video this week, and it's hard to kind of describe because there's a lot of names that you may not be familiar with. There's a guy named Ray Comfort who is an evangelist. He goes out on the street, and he's not like the, the street preacher who just preaches hellfire and brimstone to people at the corner where nobody's listening. He actually walks up to people, and he has some very awesome set questions that he goes through, and he just interviews people, and it's very effective, and he does it out of a heart of grace and love. But there's, so there's Ray Comfort, and there's another organization called the Babylon Bee. You may have heard of it before. <laughs> um, the Babylon Bee was actually interviewing Elon Musk. And so they gave a presentation, in a sense, of the gospel to him, but it was really shallow and really weak, and it was kind of cringeworthy the way they witnessed to, to, to Elon Musk in this interview. And a lot of Christians kind of call that out. like, whoa, whoa, is that, is that your presentation of the gospel? You didn't even talk about sin or judgment or the cross. Like, you, that was really weak, right? And so you take those two things. Ray Comfort, this guy who really knows how to witness and share his testimony, actually had a conversation with the Babylon Bee guys about how to share your story. And Ray Comfort actually was gracious. He wasn't just bashing the other Christians over the head, like, you guys are doing it wrong, you're terrible. No, he can't, I mean, what they did was like, oh, I would never do it that way. But he actually showed them a better way. And he actually talked about, 
If you're, if you're trying to approach someone who's far from God, who doesn't even want to think about it, they don't understand scripture, ask them this question. Do you believe in an afterlife? And then see what they say, right? Most people these days, even if they're not religious, they're at least spiritual or semi-spiritual. Very few people are not at least spiritual in some way. But you're, think about that question. You're asking them, do you believe in an afterlife? And then you just listen to what they say. After you listen to what they say, then you can actually start sharing the hope that you have. I want to ask you that question. Do you believe in an afterlife? Well, if you do, I, I, the Bible teaches us that everybody at some point has some, they think about something. Even if you say, no, I just don't believe, I don't believe in it at all. I think we're just done. We're annihilated. It's over. It's a really sad way to think. But deep down, most people know that that can't be true. And the reason why is because we have eternity written in our hearts. God created us in his image with a soul. In every single soul, as much as they try to deny that, they know there's something after this present life. And the question is, then, what am I supposed to do about it? Am I just left to figure it out on my own? To, to make up my own religion and my own, my own, my own set pattern of, of, of actions that will get me to this, this afterlife? Or is there a God who loves you, created this world, and wrote down a record of who he is and how he loves you. The Bible is the ultimate source of truth that is outside of ourselves. We would have never come up with this. Here's the message of the gospel. You were lost, you were hopeless, you were dead in your sin. You were in slavery, you are in bondage, and you can never crawl out of that ditch. There's nothing you can do about it. You're hopeless. God knows that we are sinners and we can't save ourselves. And that's why he sent Jesus Christ to become a man. Jesus entered this earth, became fully man, and he took our sin upon himself and he took the punishment that we deserve. He died, he bore the wrath so you wouldn't have to ever be punished. That's the gift of salvation that is offered to you. And by grace through faith, you can accept that. Thanks for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions about the topic of this sermon, or if you would like someone to follow up with you about applying this to your life, please reach out to us at info at doxaupstate.church. You are loved.